Well, if you're a regular listener to Adventure Rider Radio or Adventure Rider Radio Raw, you probably know that um, we're powered by some ads and listener support. And we really appreciate all the support we get from listeners because, to be honest, we couldn't do it without you. So we have a support page set up at www.adventureriderradio.com and you can do any amount, anything $10 or more, it gets you a sticker sent back at you and, and it sort of goes on up from there. But anything $50 or more gets you a mention on this show right now. So if you want to do that, um, that shows like, incredible support for the show. And, and we want to say thank you by giving you a shout out on here. So I have a list of people that have done what we call sort of above and beyond the call of duty for support this month. And here we go. Dean Hillier, Dave McCallum, Paul Murray, Stephen Decker, and Tim Tyler. Thank you very much. And look, we appreciate all the support we get for this. So even if you just sent in $10, that's great. It all helps make the whole thing work. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and now we'll get on with the show. Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. It is October 2017, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Now it's 7 in the evening, and that's because of Graham Field, but I'm not going to go on about it. It's roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name's Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by our regular Overland co-host, Shirley Hardy-Ricks. How are you, Shirley? I'm really good because it's the afternoon here and I've been up for hours, so I'm wide awake and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm just concerned that you've lost your energy. You know, you lost that oomph that you had first thing <laughs> in the morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> and Brian Ricks is there, but I, Brian, I think you've got one foot out the door almost at this point. Oh, almost, almost, Jim, but I'm here, and uh, as Shirley said, it's afternoon here, and isn't it great? Fantastic. Now, are you, you're almost out of winter now? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was actually in the pool yesterday. In the pool? Wow. Uh, we're just, just feeling it here now. Just feels like the, the, the switch has definitely been flipped, and we are on the coast here looking uh, at the, the cooler weather. Um, still got some sunshine, though, and, and of course, on the coast with me, Grant Johnson. Grant, good evening. Good evening, Jim. How are you doing? I'm well. And what do you think of the 7 p.m. thing here now? I'm good with it. It's fine by me. It doesn't cause any issues. Um, it works for me. I just hope that Graham actually remembers to wake up at 5 a.m. Because if somebody asked me to wake up at 5 a.m., it wouldn't happen. That's just not an hour that's in my vocabulary. Well, we're going to see if Graham's actually there because we have no idea at this point. It's like that that experiment, you know, the cat is in the box. Is it really there? Sam Manicom, where are you, Sam? Hey, evening, everybody. <laughs> it's 10 p.m. What have you been um, into? So a, fairly, <laughs> a fairly normal time for me. Um, I'm in Georgia in the USA, and I'm sitting here, and in the background, I can hear the crickets calling. Um, it's a really muggy night, and we've just been missed, um, just missed being knocked by Hurricane Nate. I'll tell you something, my thoughts um, this evening are very much with those people who are battling with the after effects of all of the hurricanes and so on, but also those people who are up in Northern California dealing with the fires. I've got friends up there who've had to evacuate their homes and other friends who've 
the fires turned so quickly, their, their homes and motorcycles and everything just gone. Um, pretty, pretty devastating. But on the upside, I've been staying with um, David and Amy Woodburn, who spent nine years traveling around the world with their motorcycle and sidecar. When they set off, they had their two-year-old daughter, Matea, um, in the sidecar. And Amy makes me laugh because she says, you know, we're a real team. There was no one person that was stronger than the other, um, including my daughter. Um, when we were going through um, the jungles in Zaire, if one of us had not been doing our part, um, then we would never have made it across Zaire. And the more you hear about this story, the more you realise um, how true she is um, when she says that. So they left with a two-year-old and she literally grew up in the sidecar. Oh, absolutely. Um, on the petrol tank, they have a, a wooden board, which is about a foot long by about nine inches wide. And that was Mateo's school desk. Wow. Wow. That is cool. These guys are absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're Australian, so they whinge a little bit. Well, um, <laughs> hey. so, so, so David does. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, their story is absolutely fascinating. And I hope one day somebody actually writes a book about what they've done because their trip is um, incredibly unique. Um, we first met in India where I was traveling with Birgit. She was on the back of my bike. And this was in the run up to her deciding that we could actually travel together. A brave girl. And um, she, after being on the back of my bike for three months in India and Nepal, said, um, yeah, I'd love to come with you to South America, but I want to have my own bike and I want to go to Africa first. And I thought, yeah, fine, fantastic. But so is that something to do with the way you rode, Sam, or the fact that she wanted some independence? Oh, Burgess swears that it had nothing to do with the fact that I'd fall <laughs> off a lot and end up in hospital. Safety, that's what it was. She clearly knew that to be safe, she needs to be by herself. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. No, actually, the truth of the matter is that she likes to make decisions. Um, and she likes to sit in front and she likes to be in control of her own destiny. And, um, you know, that's fine. She was a brilliant pillion passenger and she still is when we go out and two up. I've just been down at the Barber Vintage Motorcycle Festival in Alabama with them. And they had their motorcycle out on show um, for the first time in years. And the attention that it, it drew and you could just see the ideas being sparked in people's minds. It was really interesting to watch. But I've got something else that I want to comment about um, with um, the, the, the festival down there at Barber. Um, I was blown away by the number of Adventure Rider Radio Raw listeners that stopped to say hello and have a chat. And all except for the first chap who linked up with me, and I didn't notice his name down, but he'll know who, who I mean um, in a second. But I made notes of everybody else's names. So there was Chris, Jeremy, Paul, Steve, Jim, Bill, Brian, John from Michigan, um, John with a dicky leg, Brent and Alan. And these are just the guys that happened to, to stop off and say hello. Um, absolutely fantastic. Very and they were nice. all raving about Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. Um, and they are all asked me to say hello to everybody. Very, did you tell them you're actually on Raw? No, they came to find me because they've been listening I'm just kidding. to the show. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night. Don't, don't pull my leg. Wow, okay. We're going to have to go easy with Sam tonight. You guys realize this. You can see. Kick gloves, okay? Okay. Okay, well, yeah. we'll have to wait. say hi to all those people that, that were there too. L let me, let yeah. me get the box, okay? Because we have to see if Graham's really inside. So I need a drum roll or something, but, but here we go. Graham? Yes. Welcome, Graham. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. Yes, could have had another 15 minutes in bed if I'd known Stab's introduction was going to go on so long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 5am. Jim graciously changed the shift so I don't have to stay up till 1am. I get to get up at 5am instead. And... I, in my beautiful, enviable, luxurious lifestyle that I have, I rarely have an alarm that wakes me up. I'm, I'm an early morning person anyway. I'm, I'm normally awake by six. But this morning, I had to have an alarm wake me up. Oh, my God, the dream I was having. I've missed out on having on being aware of my dreams. No, 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 no. <laughs> what was it, a Ducati? I, I, can't even, I can't even begin. You would turn off in droves. Oh. <laughs> Gee, I was going to say we've missed you, Graham, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If, if my, my T-shirt says ride the dream, oh, you couldn't ride that dream. <laughs> okay. Well, I think this is explicit, this show anyways. I mean, that's why we have Graham here. So that's okay. We'll just leave that in. Um, What we did for this one, and I know you guys know this, but for the listener, what we did with this one is we decided to bring in a bunch of questions for this show from listeners. So people went on and, and sent it, uh, well, I guess a bunch of different ways. We have a form on the website at Adventure Rider Radio, and it's just, uh, if you go to RAW on Adventure Rider Radio, you'll, you'll see the question form. You can just click on it. You can fill out a question. And I think it's going to be a great way to, to get the, the listeners asking exactly what they want uh, of the group. So I'm going to start with a fellow named Scott McQueen. And Scott McQueen's question is, now, hey, and some of this we may have covered before on other episodes, but I think, you know, repetition is the mother of learning. And, and I'm sure that um, it's worthwhile going over this again, because I, I think we've sort of talked about this. But he asked, um, what are costs like on around the world trips? And how do you not run out of money? And I realized that's a huge question uh, two questions but it's a grant this has got to be one that you deal with all the time well the cost all the time yeah and how do you not run out of money well for most of us you do so some people stop and work or go home and work some people can actually save up enough that they can keep going but when somebody asks a question like that i have to ask a whole lot of questions of them how old are you What's your style of travel? Are you traveling solo? Do you like five-star hotels? Do you like sleeping under bridges? Um, what, what sort of how much money do you want to spend? What's your budget? You have to make those decisions because usually we find the the 20, 25, 30-year-olds they go pretty cheap and they can go on a very low number and they sleep cheap and they they cook all their own food. And yeah, you can do it very, very cheaply. But on the other hand, if you're getting a little older, you've got your wife along, she might not like the sleeping under the bridge idea. You might want to have a hotel once a week. You know. A shower is a nice thing on occasion, uh, especially if you're traveling as a couple. That makes a big difference. Uh, the prices, how much you spend and how much it's going to cost you is up to you. And I think that's, that's the most important thing to understand is how cheap can you travel in your home country? How much do you normally spend? How much does fuel cost? How fast are you going to travel? Because if you're traveling fast, you're generally going to use a lot of fuel, which means your daily cost is up. Your, your cost uh, at the end of the day is going to be higher because you're tired. You've done a lot of miles. You're traveling quickly. You're going to want a restaurant. You're going to want some food. And then, oh, by the way, it's late. I guess I better get a hotel. Your cost just went up as opposed to stopping early, only riding a little short distance and finding a nice campground and relaxing and taking your time. So what's your style of riding? Are you in a hurry to ride? Are you going to ride all day and hard and put in the miles? Or are you going to stop and relax and take your time and see things? 
there's a big difference in what it's going to cost you as well. Just let me interject here. I think a lot of people, though, for it, it's budgeting, right? They want to figure out, so do I need 10 grand? Do I need 20 grand? Are there something like, could you nail it down to like the three biggest expenses? A lot of people think that fuel is the biggest expense, but it's actually not. Um, shipping your bike from continent to continent is probably certainly the, the first one up front that's going to be expensive, but also accommodation or not, depending again on how you travel. Are you going to camp every night and camp wild or are you going to do a five-star hotel? Um, which one is going to be the highest is dependent on you and your style of riding. So when you're trying to budget, I think the biggest issue is you have to decide what it is you're going to do and how you're going to do it. We can all figure out what our gas mileage is and how much it's going to cost us in a particular country. That's not difficult. We can all figure out how much it's going to cost us roughly for food, and we can add in a number for hotels or not, depending on what you want to do. And you have to work out your own budget because everybody is going to be different. I've had people say, I've gone around the world on $10,000, and I know a guy who went around the world on a quarter of a million dollars. Where are you in there? And there are some things that are not negotiable. Um, as you said, Grant, shifting your motorcycle from continent to continent, well, you just have to do that and it's going yeah. to be a, a certain price and there's not going to be any any options around it. The other thing is visas. Mm-hmm. In some yep. countries, you're just going to pick them up at the border for nothing and other countries, you're going to have to do a lot of time and energy and spend a lot of money um, getting visas and that's... Yeah. That's uh, not a variable. If you want to go to Russia, for instance, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Yeah, and it also depends on your nationality. Australians have to have visas for virtually everywhere, whereas Canadians need a lot less visas. In Switzerland, you need even less visas. So asking how much it's going to cost for that depends on where you come from. It's also where you come from in in that um, if if you're um, Irish, for example, your visa can be half what it is um, for an English person to go into a country. Yeah. That can make a huge difference. One of the things you mentioned just now was um, about hotels, Grant. Mm -hmm. When we talked about this before, I'd forgotten that, you know, if you're travelling with two people, you're sharing the the price of a room, that can often be cheaper um, than um, paying for a hotel room on your own. Yeah, a lot of hotels, it's the same price, whether it's one person or two. Graham will like this because, of course, it means that he can find a girl. (laughs) <laughs> there's, also, there's also the, the, the issue of uh, which country you're going into and how expensive it is. Norway, for example, is one of the most expensive countries in the world to travel. Yep. And, uh, if you As just, is Australia. Uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. if you want to be in a, um, a cabin, for example, when it's freezing cold in the way north of Norway, that's what we did. We shared with uh, an American friend and, you know, you share the cost. But I also think it's the way that you want to travel now. Do you want to see the sights or you're going around, ripping around the world in less than 80 days or what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for most people, if you're travelling to these exotic places in the world, you want to experience it. So you want to go and see the, the famous iconic sights wherever you are, be it Iran or Timbuktu or wherever you might be. Or you don't want to do that. So uh, I, I agree exactly with what Grant said. It's, it comes down to um, individuality and what you want out of your trip. It's also, you want to see these sites. A lot of people say, I, I know one couple who were go, went to Nordcap and got to the gate and found out how much it was and said, nope, not going to do that because they found out how much it was going to cost. Um, and then there's us. We arrive in Ushuaia and we find out how much it costs to go to uh, 
to Antarctica and well, what are credit cards for? That's what we did. We went to Antarctica because you don't turn down these places. Um, the balloon ride across the Serengeti, I'm bummed to this day that we missed out on because we didn't book it far enough in advance, but it would have been expensive. Man, it would have been so cool. So you, you've got to spend yeah. the money to do these things and budgeting your, your food and your accommodation and your gas doesn't cover all the cool sites that cost money to get into. But you can, when you're on the road and you're starting to get a bit short of cash, you can say, okay, well, for the next little while, I'm going to need to either free camp or stay in campgrounds. I'm going to need to go to the markets and buy food rather than going to restaurants and cafes. And that way you can get your reserves back a little bit um, to to have the extra cash well, to go and visit the yeah, sites. Yeah, I, I think Sam's the uh, the guru at that. Sam, you you sell things on the road, don't you, mate? Yeah, I buy things. Um, I, I made jewellery. I painted t-shirts. Um, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, when I was doing t-shirts, I was buying them for um, one US dollar in Zimbabwe, um, painting designs on the front, and um, a month later selling them for twenty dollars. Um, so you know, you can actually make quite a lot of um, you know, savings and so on and earn a little bit of money along the way, which helps a lot. But one of the other things is, you know, with food, we talk about um, hunting out the local markets and going to the local restaurants. I've met people who won't eat the local food and they'll only go to expat-type um, supermarkets oh, that's and so buy recognisable brand names and this sort of stuff. And they might be paying, I don't know, 15 times as much for a brand name that they recognise from home in comparison to a very similar thing, um, that's made in the country that they're in. Yeah, we were in Panama in February, and we really noticed that exact thing. Um, but in, in the restaurants, we could eat in a local Panamanian restaurant that was just a standard. All the locals ate there. And we could eat for like $6 for the two of us for a good lunch. Or we could go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and for 20 bucks, we could have a typical Kentucky Fried Chicken lunch. There's a massive difference in price there. And a lot of people are really nervous about going into the local restaurants. But the locals eat there all the time. The food's fine. Mr. Field, you're the only country we haven't heard from, Bulgaria. He's asleep. Oh, sorry, my mic was off. I've been, I've been, trying, to, I've, I've been trying to pitch in and nobody's letting me say anything. Like, oh, because I've been, been off here. Two months. Oh, He's forgotten how to turn it on. <laughs> I went, I, well, I went and made Bloody Mary, thought better turn me mic off and I forgot to turn it back on again, sorry. <laughs> right, well, I, I think Raw is like an airport lounge. It doesn't matter what time it is because nobody knows what time zone you're in, so no one can judge you. <laughs> I like that. That's really cool. I like that. Oh, that is so cool. Uh, what were you talking about? Oh, yeah, um, round-the-world trips. I, I can't add anything. I mean, for a start, define round-the-world. Do you want to go around every single country? Do you want to go to every single continent? Do you just want to go around the world? And do you want to go top to bottom, left to right? It's it's an impossible question to answer. I can't answer that. Yeah, it is a tough yeah, one. My but... favourite answer to that, uh, my, uh, one last comment I've got on that, I think that's that's really relevant, is rather than set a distance goal as in around the world how about when the money runs out i go home mm. and then yeah. you travel however you want and when you run out of money you go home that's it and, and as we've said um you know if you want to cross continents with a bike that that's going to take a month or two's budget in in asia or eastern or, or, or eastern europe so 
you've got to decide whether you just want to tick off countries or whether there's places you want to go. And it, it, again, it's just so hard to answer that question. You know, you, for me, my, my majority of my journeys are done under £5,000 budget and I have a destination in mind. And, and it works. And actually, I get a lot of satisfaction living within that budget. And it's been really strange recently. I've been doing little trips to taking advantage of my location, going off to Montenegro or Greece or, or somewhere, because I can do it without my, my insurance covers me in these countries. My Bulgarian insurance covers me. So crossing borders is easy. And most of the year, they're part of the EU. So it's very simple. And it's so strange not having a time budget because they're little trips. It's really hard. I've got like this island mentality net from living in England that I don't need to book ferries and I don't need to book channel tunnels. I can just leave when I want and I can come back when I want. So it, it, it can be as cheap as it wants to be. But because I'm not on a budget, I do tend to like stay in, the, in a nice hotel or better stay in a hotel as opposed to under a bit of canvas. So but generally when I do the long trips, there is a daily budget and I know how long it's going to be. And I you, you, there's a lot of satisfaction gained in the of staying on budget and managing it. And then when it's blown because of an unexpected breakdown or an overpriced hotel or an expensive border crossing, balancing the few days after that to get back on track. It's, that's a wonderful thing, I think. Totally agree, Graham. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's not that difficult to learn to live lean when you're traveling. You very quickly... Just get used to not buying the, the things on the spur of the moment and um, splashing out and, and those sorts of things. Because when you do splash out, it's it's just like you've given yourself a gem rather than just being your, your day strewn with expensive um, happenings. And one of the things that you can that people can do to help keep their budgets down is um, to find the cheap part of um, parts of towns and so on. You can often find that because you're following the backpackers and just don't go in and stay where the backpackers are because I tell you what, when you're surrounded by people who are on a year's gap um, holiday or whatever, the temptation to go boozing and partying with these guys is just huge. Yet if you're tucked away in a quiet little hotel just down the road, you can dip into the party if you want to and then go back to the peace and quiet and the cheap, um, the lean living. That works really, really well. Temptation is huge when you're when you're young and you're in party modes. And also you get to experience the real country a bit more if you're not where the backpackers are. If you go Absolutely. to if you go to these other places, it's very easy to be down on backpackers. They're such easy people to take <laughs> fun of. Um, yeah, I'm, just, I'm currently looking at going to India um, for a little while next year and uh, using the Lonely Planet to say, oh, is it in the Lonely Planet? Oh, God, it is, right? I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, sorry, I think that sort of wraps up. I was just going to say, just to, to close things up, Grant, do you have a page on, uh, your, on your site that sort of deals with that? Yeah, I can't even remember what it is, but uh, budget is definitely in there. And there's a forum that talks about costs of traveling. Right. There's lots of information on that if you want to budget, um, search on budget. So I think it's a really good one. Scott, you know, if if you want to look further into this, and, and I would go to horizonsunlimited.com and search for budget uh, as a keyword and see what you come up with there. Yep, there's a lot of discussions on it for sure. So the next question is from Mike Jacobson, and he has, he's sort of uh, you know pointing this at Graham because he's saying, Graham, can you recommend any useful hair care products for dry hair that you can use in the coming Australian summer? I think this is that's <laughs> a case. good question. It's a good question. I uh, I took this this question very seriously. I'll bet. 
<laughs> and uh, I actually put it on my own Facebook page, and um, and I got a, a very good answer. And um, you just cut for a minute, Jim, while I find it. Okay. Because I didn't know this was. I didn't know you were seriously going to bring this up. Tactic, Hang on, let me find tactic, it. Where tactic, do, 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 do. Let's get some background. Get, uh, somebody sing a song, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, a, as an Australian, um, you don't need hair products because uh, if you don't have any hair, it's not a problem. And I'm sure Sam and Grant and the rest of us. Will you stop throwing me in? It? Uh, <laughs> you, you keep throwing me in with. I still have a little. I got a little bit. I don't need a little. Really? I saw my stylist when I was back in England last week, and he said that there's new growth. What? <laughs> God. Unfortunately, he wasn't well, talking about it. was head. out of my ears. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, can you pull the plug on, Graham, please? <laughs> I can't. There's only two people in the world I let touch my hair one's in America and one's in England. Yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> It gives, it gives me free product. He's very cool. <laughs> anyway, he actually does have a serious question. What he was asking about, and I, and I think this is a good one, well, and this is Mike Jacobson. He was asking about charging technology on a motorcycle. He says phones are relatively easy to charge on a bike if you're fitted with a USB I've port. I've got the answer here now. Oh, I just, <laughs> well, that took a long answer. time. I mean, you know, we're on a schedule well, here. We're talking about something else. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've got an addendum to whatever Graham has to say. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's hear this. I'm curious. Okay, well, I took, I, took, I took this question very seriously and I actually put it on my own Facebook page and a friend of mine has a dancer, had the best answer. She said, he's an Australian. It's like if you've got greasy hair, he needs Toothy's Extra Dry Lager or Pure Premium Blonde if he's fair-haired or Foster's <laughs> if he's on a budget. <laughs> Remembering, of course, Australians don't drink Fosters, only overseas people drink Fosters. <laughs> okay, so, 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 so Grant, I, I mean, I just want to get a qualification here. So this is from your hair experience? No, it's not from, well, I shouldn't say that. I have had hair in the past, and I still do have some, but I was actually asked at a Queensland, Australia, travelers meeting, one of the women said, well, was, was talking about packing and carrying stuff. And they said, well, what kind of shampoo should I take? Because it's really bulky and I don't know, you know it's, it's too hard to carry. And I said, use bar shampoo. Bar shampoo? She'd never heard of solid bar shampoo for hair. Hmm. Well, it, it exists. There's Lush is one that I use. And there's another brand out there. I can't think what it is. But bar shampoo instead of giant bottles of liquid shampoo works great and lasts forever i get six months out of a bar somebody I've with never more hair like graham might go three months <laughs> uh, look. but you know of course you can always buy shampoo in other countries you don't have to take it all from home oh no no she only yeah. ended up with gorilla snot in her hair once oh. <laughs> oh and a very stylish product it was too i got it in um ecuador at a hairdresser's she said you will need product and she sold me a jar of gorilla snot <laughs> Just going serious for a minute, a lot of people when they travel decide not to use um, shampoos and so on at all um, and they let um, their hair naturally be conditioned by the oil that your body naturally produces. But what they do is to stop the hair um, getting smelly and getting dirty is they just rinse it thoroughly and after you've gone for about two months, um, you, you get a bit of an itch and then after that two months or so the itch disappears. And actually, your hair can conditions itself really, really well. You just have to rinse it regularly. So well, there we are. That's another way of travelling cheap that, and keeping Sam. your budget down. I disagree I tried, with that, I tried, Sam. I tried that. It's a 
it's a fallacy. That whole don't wash it, just wash it with water, it'll stick, it develops its own clean thing. Maybe if you're an Aborigine and you've never used hair care product in your life, but if you've been using hair care products your entire, even shampoo, not necessarily quality, quality products, your entire life, and then decide one day that you're going to not use any product, it takes far longer than two months, longer than I have the patience for, for your hair to adjust to that because it just doesn't. It just turns into an itchy, scratchy, matted, greasy mess. It does not start cleaning itself. On that note, I better start washing my hair while I'm on this trip then. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that was the voice of experience, Sam, not someone I knew once did that. <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've exhausted the washing of the hair. Let's move on to charging technology, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> charging technology at a motorcycle. Um, now, this again is Mike Jacobson. Phones are relatively easy to charge if you have a USB port, but laptops and some cameras need different voltages than the 5-volt the USB, um, which is, is your normal USB plug, or the 12-volt cigarette lighter that we all have on our motorcycles, or most of us do. So what he's wondering is, do have you guys invested in special chargers um, that'll run on your 12-volt power supply? In other words, uh, I guess an inverter setup. Um, and then, or do you hope that you can find um, a charging socket, you know, somewhere 120 volts, 240 volts, depending on where you are in the world? How do you handle that? Well, we, we just hope that we find uh, somebody that we can charge up our computers and and um, camera batteries and things like that. I mean, I, we've never had a problem. Well, we just take a little adapter that yeah. adapts an Australian wall socket to a international, yeah. American, um, European one. So and you'll always find someone, even if you go to a little cafe, you'll find someone who will uh, let you plug in. Um, we've never had a real drama with it. You can't yeah, really. Do you need pack. a charged-up laptop if you're not near? If you're not near. Uh, a 240 main supply do you need a laptop because you're not going to have wi-fi anyway so surely just having your phone is good enough well, you might want to sit down and actually write top. exactly that's what i was going to say grant yeah. Now, there are inverters available. You, you can buy inverters that will fit in your tank bag, very, very tiny. And, and what an inverter does, takes your 12-volt supply and runs it through a bunch of circuitry to turn it into 120 or 240 volts. And gives, it gives you AC, alternating current, from your direct current without getting into a lot of technical data. But you can buy those relatively, I mean, they're really common now. Um, at least they are in North America. And you can buy those, put it in your tank bag and charge off of it. That's one method that you can use for it. The one thing I wanted to bring up when we were talking about this was solar panels. Does anyone ride with a solar panel? We had one in uh, two, two of them that fit on the top of our top box, and we charged everything off of those. We, most everything ran off uh, AA batteries, and we charged the AA's uh, from the solar cell. This is back in 87, so they weren't very efficient, but it would do the job. And we ran our laptop just fine off the solar panels. Why solar panels? Why not run it off your, because, battery, off your, your, your motorcycle? Um, we were riding an R80GS, which doesn't have much in the way of juice to start. <laughs> Trying to charge anything off the bike was fraught, shall we say. Mm. Okay, that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Because I was going to say there's a lot of people who talk about taking solar panels with them. And, and to me, it, I mean, you know, phones, especially if you're just talking about a phone, it takes so little power. You can charge that off your motorcycle battery, no problem at all. I mean, Easily. any 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 bikes can charge that nowadays. Yeah, even a KLR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing we did was um, one, of our, one of our trips, we made sure that the camera we bought used actually AA batteries so we could upgrade them um, or, or replace them whenever we wanted to. 
and we also had a little charger to uh, charge up rechargeable double A's. But if we ran out, we were able to buy them anyway. Yeah, that was that was our thinking when we took off. The only batteries we had were what was in the laptop and double A's ran everything yeah. else, flashlights, all that stuff. Nowadays, a lot of cameras though have proprietary batteries. You, you won't even have a choice with it unless you buy an adapter. Yeah. Yeah, but a small inverter isn't very heavy. Um, we've got an inverter that we take traveling with us because even if we're in a car going from the airport to an event, Susan works on the laptop in the car, which is running an inverter to charge the laptop. And that works just fine. And it works on a bike too. With the cheap, aren't they? Oh, 30, 40 bucks. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Peanuts. Um, just going back to solar panels for a minute. I, I used one. Um, uh, Jesse Luggage um, make one that um, fits on the top of their top box. And I kind of like this because it, 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 I wasn't having to find somewhere to carry a, a solar panel within my luggage. It was always on the outside of the luggage. It was fixed there. So, um, you know, I wasn't sort of leaning one outside my tent while I was off hiking for a day and hoping that it was still going to be there while I was back, uh, when I got back. And this for me was one of the good things about having a solar char um, panel charger was because I might park my bike up for two or three days, not ride it anywhere because I'm hiking every day. Um, and it just meant that without using um, any drain on the battery, I could be keeping everything charged up really nicely. And one of the things that I always like to do is to charge up a, a backup battery. Um, and you can get those that you can charge your, your laptop from. And that's just such a handy little bit of kit. And they're, again, they're not expensive. The technology has moved on so well in, in recent times for this sort of stuff. I saw one just at our California meeting. Somebody had a solar panel there that was flexible, and it was a big one for hanging on the side of his trailer, but it comes in small sizes, like one-foot square panel, and they put out 50% more than a solid state, and you could bend it, flex it, you can punch a hole in it, and it still puts out juice. Mm -hmm. So the technology has come on amazingly since, since I last used one. I've had one of those as well, the the, uh, the flexible ones, and it's, it's pretty neat. The thing is, though, with like I've seen people take solar powered lights, so they charge the batteries in the, in the solar lights, and to me, it seems like such a useless thing for us motorcyclists because you have the charging system on your bike, you have to charge the the light in the sun, which is when you're riding. When you camp at night, you're going to use the light. It takes you so long to charge it with these tiny little solar panels. You're better off to put a charger in your tank bag, plug it into your 12 volts, charge it up all day long, throw it in the light. It'll last, you know, the entire trip. You'll never have a problem with it at all. To me, with solar panels on the motorcycle, unless you've got a really borderline charging system or, or, or like Sam said, you're parking for a couple of days. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, I think a solar panel, if you can get it cheap and make it fit on top of a, a top box or something like that, like Sam was saying, I think it makes you feel better and you are always covered. You've always got juice being produced. I mean, one of our thinking was, well, what if the bike's charging system doesn't work? Well, we can charge the battery up from the solar panel, ride 100 miles. When the bike dies, then we keep charging the, the uh, battery in the bike. I mean, if you're going to really bizarre, way out of the way, middle of nowhere places, it does give you a feeling of extra security. However, the reality is it's, it's, it's a Band-Aid and it's the amount of uh, the odds that you'll actually need it are so tiny. I'm not sure it's worth the effort either. Yeah, and, and I think for the amount they put out, better. for the amount they put out of power they put out, I think it'd be far better to get one of those small battery jumper packs that you sort of fit in your hand and they have a tremendous amount of power in them and throw that in your bag if you're, if you're really worried about it in, in my thought yeah, process those, anyway. Yeah. And those things are amazing and you could charge it off a solar panel if you wanted to. You could. Yeah. Yep. 
whatever it's exactly time. what I use. You have to make your own decision. What are you going to do? And could I just add on the subject electronics? Um, remember that people traveled before there were all these electronics as well. And I mean, a, a, a few months ago when I was last here, I think I said about, I saw a Facebook post which said, if you do a bike trip and don't blog it or Facebook it, does it really exist? And, <laughs> yeah, and those words really hit me big time. And so consequently, I, I, I try and make August to Facebook three, three months anyway. And I came off of Facebook for a couple of months. And as I say, I've done a few bike trips of Macedonia, Montenegro, Greece and, and surrounding countries. But I didn't feel the need to Facebook it or blog it or anything because I was just riding for me. Uh, which made book sales decline immensely. But it was really nice just to do stuff. And there was an instance, I think I was in Macedonia, and I was stopped to get some fuel. And while I was there, I went into a restaurant to get some water. And there was this, outside the, the door, there was this big panniered up BMW. And I noticed the bike, but I didn't notice who was riding it. And I was sitting looking out the window, just looking at my own bike. And this guy walked out and he went to his bike and he spent 15 minutes playing with his electronics before he got on his bike and actually rode away. And this was just a fuel station stop. This wasn't an end of day or beginning of day um, sort of ritual or anything. This was just a, a midday thing. And he didn't even see me or my bike because he was playing with his electronics. I saw all of this because I wasn't playing with mine because I didn't have any. And there is so much to be said. And I tell people this again and again. To not be so, I've ridden. I, I was a. I went to a HU meet in Ireland, and after me, I rode with several other people who have all done a lot of travelling. And we rode around Ireland for a few days. And every time we stopped for a coffee break or something, I thought well, this could be great. I'm actually riding with people again, and people who have travelled a lot and got a lot to say. Every time we stopped, out came their phones. And these are these are mature people. They're not teenagers, and. You are not looking around you at the sights, at the people, listening to the conversations, that beautiful Southern Irish accent, but you are staring at your bloody phone. Electronics, you know, put them in your tank bag. Let them go flat. It's liberating. <laughs> I can agree with you on that, Graham. We just did uh, California. I rode to California for our California travelers meeting and then rode back. And I took, I think, no, I didn't. I didn't take any pictures. I was going to take a picture, and I didn't take a picture, not one, and made no posts about it on Facebook, blog, nothing. Just rode and enjoyed because that was the first ride we'd had in donkey's ages. Um, and we just rode. We went, came back up the Oregon coast. It was beautiful. We didn't take a single picture. And that was so great. wonderful so doing it for yeah. you and not doing it for likes, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Can I just throw in a story here, which, Jim, you're quite um, – free to chop out because it's absolutely nothing to do with motorcycle travel, but it is to do with phone use. There's a story in the newspapers in Australia today from the guide dog people who breed and train the dogs for blind people, saying that vision impaired people in Australia are forever being bumped into by young people on their phones who are not watching where they're going. Yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw a thing that said they ought to have, like they have cycle lanes, they ought to have a, another lane on the pavement, on the sidewalk, for people looking at their phones. <laughs> well, in, in Melbourne, they've decided to, to put um, a red and green um, um, signals in the pavement for people when they go across major intersections. Because they're all <laughs> really funny things. <laughs> I mean, going back to what Graham was saying, I quite agree. People get too wrapped up 
in their phones and Facebook and Twitter and everything else when they're traveling. Um, people need to get out there and do the trip for themselves. They can share all of the stories and everything else once a month when they settle down for a few days somewhere for a bit of R&R and exploring on foot. But, you know, just, just this whole business of off the bike, face in phone, back on the bike, off the bike, face in phone. There's so much is being missed of the whole point of being out there. I think people need to spend more time thinking about cutting the umbilical cord and just going traveling for all of the reasons that there are out there to go traveling for, the experiences, the people, the views, the smells, all of this sort of stuff, that if your nose is stuck in your phone, you don't even smell the smells. That's other, people often say to us, why don't you shoot video? But you shoot video and you end up looking at the entire trip through a viewfinder and not through your eyes and using the hard drive in your head yeah. to record yeah. it. I uh, sounded like a grumpy old git now. I went to a Sting concert recently because a friend of mine was working on the tour and got us in for free. I wouldn't call myself a Sting or a police fan, but it was actually brilliant. But everybody had their phones out. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to watch this second-rate video when you get home, and I'm distracted by all these lights. I'm thinking, bring back the days when people smoked and held their lighters up. It was far more... <laughs> <laughs> everybody's got their phone and I, uh, the person in front of me who's then taking photos and then Facebooking it or tweeting it or whatever and I wanted to say you know could you at least dim your screen and I thought Graham you are in a minority here you're fighting losing battle everybody has their phone out I've j it's just a different generation and I think if, if we if we're talking to probably the people on Adventure Rider Radio are probably a similar age group to us and can perhaps understand what we say. But a younger generation will never comprehend that that you don't that you don't Facebook it, tweet it, Snapchat it. That's the whole point of life. <laughs> hey, let me throw this in here. This comes from a fellow named Devin McCoy. And I'm going to read you what he wrote. Mr. Martin calls me Mr. Martin. I thought it was to my dad when I wrote nice. it. Nice. I am so happy I found this podcast. It has amped me to do more riding, which we love, right? Because, I mean, that's the whole point of it, is to, to yep. motivate people to get out there and do their own thing. He says, uh, your voice is easy to listen to and the show is well produced. Thank you. And thank you from Elizabeth. Um, but he has one beef. He's lived in Argentina for two years. And the little destination town of Ushuaia is mentioned quite a bit in various episodes. In Spanish, he says, the H is silent. However, it's frequently pronounced with the SH sound. He says, I know it may be silly, but I can't be the only person to notice this. Just had to mention it. The show is phenomenal, and I've been listening every day trying to catch up. Keep it up. Thanks. So it's Ushuaia. Did you guys know that? No. I had a vague memory of it when I was there. Yeah. We're yeah. nice things, though, don't we? Huh? Yeah, we do. Exactly. Probably because yeah. I, right. I think Grant, I heard you say a little earlier, and I was going to interrupt things then and, and mention it, but I thought that was a that's a good point. You know, it's it's one of those, and it's a common word for us. You know, it's a, it's a talked mm -hmm. about destination for adventure motorcyclists doing in the Americas. Yeah, well, we're all so used to pronouncing sh as that's that's norm for us. It's um, like even in Spanish, they in Spain they actually lisp. The S is, isn't 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 an S. It's a sound. So, but does, do we pronounce it that way? No. Every language has its little um, idiosyncrasies. We were in France once, trying to book into a hotel, and the girl spoke really good English. So I said we wanted to book a room for tonight. So she thought I wanted two nights. But mm. as soon as I said "cessoir," she understood we wanted this night, not two nights. So. 
Werfen. Oh, yes, trying to find what I thought was Werfen. And um, the man at the petrol station said that it did not exist, that I was trying to go somewhere that just was non-existent. But as soon as I showed him it written down, he went, ah, Werfen, and we got directions straight away. Which is why having a local map is very useful, whether it's Cyrillic or or local language, because when you point at it and the locals can see it, they can read it. And yeah. that was that was very useful in Mongolia. And here in, in Bulgaria, going back to the SH thing, we have a single letter for the SH sound, and it looks like a W. So, uh, yeah, if you're showing a map to a, 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 a local person, it's better that it's written in their native language because then they can read it and help you. So... Wow, great tip. Local map. That, that's a great traveler's tip. And of course, that's what we're here for. That's what we're doing on RAW right now. Excellent. Anyway, let, let's go back because... TJ Lyons wrote in about locking up your bike. And I don't know if we've actually covered this recently. I think Grant, you and I did this a long time ago, maybe several years ago now. But his question was, how do you lock up your motorcycle when traveling? Do you use a heavy chain or or a heavy-duty cable or nothing? And he he said, um, he's heard all of us mention so many great trips, but he doesn't recall anyone mentioning what they've done to secure their bike at night. Can I just start with this one? Yeah. Um, when we're on the road, it's always my job to find the room and the first thing that I ask for is secure. Yes, there is a reason for that because Brian's idea of a good room and mine are totally different. <laughs> but, That's why Susan does this, has the same job. I, I thought it was working at Shirley Books places that are like seven hours away or something. Oh, oh, yeah, you once, see it. <laughs> once I did that, Jim. Goodness no, gracious. No, so, well, no. maybe a couple of times, but really, it's nothing to worry about. But back to the bike, um, the first question is always, is there secure parking for the bike? And uh, we, so we always take a chain oh. and other locks. But, you know, if we're going to stay, particularly if we're going to stay two or three days in a town and spend a lot of time on foot away from the bike, it's nice to know that it's in a shed locked up at the back of the hostel or yeah, somewhere well, secure. I answered a question on the internet uh, on our webpage just the other day in relation to this for, for a man who's just a man, a guy, a girl who's just about to start their trip. And we, I always carry a disc clock and a piece of electrical tape. The electrical tape goes over the ignition switch to remind you that you've got the disc lock on, which, let me tell you, doesn't end well. I've done it once. It didn't yes. end well. And also uh, a cable lock, uh, which I'll uh, tie the bike via the back wheel through the um, chassis or frame of the bike somewhere to a solid job object if I can find one close by. And uh, that also doubles for tying um, your soft luggage on if you've got something like that. Yeah. Um, that's what really good. Um, oh, God, it's a really old one. I can't remember. But it's 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 a steel cable with a um, plastic sheath over it so it doesn't scratch anything on the so bike. So like one of those fancy ones with like a double, you know, where it's got the double sheath and, and the cable inside? Or is it just a straight cable, like an aircraft cable? Uh, no, it's a double sheath one. Yeah. It's it's pretty. It'd be really hard to um, to cut, um, and you try and put it to a solid object. And but, but that way you've got the front wheel clamped with the uh, disc lock uh, fairly well, and you've got the back wheel and the frame of the bike tied up as well. Doesn't stop people from picking up and carrying away. And the other thing that you should carry always is a bike cover. Just covering the bike is probably one of the most secure things you can do. Anyway, it just stops little fingers. Um, I think I'll remi- re- tell you the story of um, the guy who was camped somewhere in Eastern Europe uh, coming back from Mongolia. In a at, campground. In a campground. 
next to his bike, woke up in the morning and his bike had been lifted and carried away. And he had everything in it, passports, money, the whole lot. All he had was um, uh, a pair of jeans and a T-shirt and his tent, basically. So um, you've got to be so careful where you put your bike and try and secure it as best as possible. Yeah, I totally agree with what Brian's just said. I mean, that um, bike cover, it's as good as carrying, um, you know, a second or a third lock. Um, it's a real case of out of sight, out of mind. If you put temptation in people's way, then people tend to be tempted. But um, what Shirley said about getting your bike off the street, that's that's just the king rule, isn't it? Because um, mm. that's as good as the best possible Abbas lock that you could get. Um I mean, also, you, you, you get the situation where you can have, um, in many developing world countries, there'll be somebody whose job it is designated um, to look after your bike overnight. And you slip them um, yeah. a few um, you know, pennies of the local currency, and they're really, really happy to have that supplement. But, um, there are some oddball places to get your bike off the streets. I remember one time in Mombasa, we just could not find a hotel um, that we could afford that had off-road parking. And we were about to start clearing our bikes um, through customs in Mombasa Harbour. And uh, a chap turned up at our hotel and um, we were camping up on the roof. We had a dome tent, so it was half the price of a room. So we were up there camping. And he'd had the same problem as us. Where on earth is he gonna get his bike off the street? But the owner of this hotel, and the hotel was um, up above a, a row of shops, said, well, you can put it up on the roof. And we looked at each other and thought, how on earth are we going to get it up there? And we pushed this bike, it was a Tenere, um, up three flights of stairs and parked it there up on the roof. Why not? There were enough of us to do it. And it was off the road and safe. Yeah. Uh, and I had a hotel in South America. They said, I said, where can I park my bike that's going to be safe? He said, no, I'll park it in front of your room. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I get on the bike, ride up the stairs, through the front door, turn right at the restaurant, drive past everybody in the restaurant having lunch. <laughs> turn left, swing, drive past the swimming pool, and park it in front of my room. Nobody batted an eye. It was fine. Yeah, we've and done that. Yeah, you'll find that um, in Europe and uh, South America, South America in particular, people understand that the bike is an important part of your trip, and they're more than happy to cooperate and let you park the bike, as Grant says, outside your room. Ours has spent time in a reading room at a hostel, in restaurants, uh, you know, people just understand that that's, that's how your life goes. In Australia, yep. if you go to the Best Western in the town of Ararat and ask them if you can park your bike in your room, chances are they're going to say no. <laughs> Funny that. They that's don't understand enough. here, but in South America and North America, certainly they do. We had no trouble. People said to me, look, if you can make it across Europe without having your bike stolen, um, then you can make it around most of the rest of the world. That's, that's very true. Exactly. As I was about to say that, Sam, and, and I can remember going to the Northwest 200 bike races and seeing 20 bikes chained together um, because um, with good reason. Your bike stolen anywhere, it's going to be in Europe, the UK, and places like that. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what you do, somewhere or other, somebody's going to be able to steal it. When I was living in England, there was a story in the local magazine, newspaper, about um, a guy who had three Ducatis stolen out of his garage. It was super secure garage. It was all locked up. And he walked out to his garage in the morning and it, nothing was touched. It was fine. He opened the door, looked inside, and there was nothing there. And this, the roof was gone. They opened <laughs> up the roof and lifted yep. the bikes out the top. Wow. <laughs> so, right. they really if they it. want it, they're going to get it. 
<laughs> yeah, back in the UK in the late 80s, bike theft was just rife. And we all had massive chains and padlocks that went round the back wheel, over the seat, and if possible, through a railing. And what we used to do, if you park next to another bike, we should loop it through their chain. So then the two bikes were chained together. And you'd ride generally with that chain and padlock over one shoulder and hanging down the side. It was the look for quite a few years. <laughs> I thought that was for smashing car windows as you ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ones whose indicators are out of fashion and don't work. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great, but, and that uh, fashion is coming back in the UK now. Motorcycle theft there is absolutely horrendous. And I've started seeing people riding with chains around their shoulders like that now. Well, it's, it's an intimidating look, and it's all equally intimidated when it's round a bike as well. And so I'm kind of old school. I still ride with a bloody great chain and padlock because it is, and it is really a, a thing that only does one job because uh, I don't actually smash car windows with it. And it's, uh, but it's, uh, I guess it's just because I, I came from a time where if your bike wasn't chained, it wasn't there when you came back. And so I do put a bloody great chain and padlock around my bike when it's because you can't, you're not, it's, yes, it's, it's wonderful when you can get it in a hotel or, or sort of beyond your, outside your room or whatever, but that's not always an option. And the story that I've told loads of times is when I was in a brothel for a week in Ankara in Turkey waiting to get my visas for the stands. And it was on the road outside. And although it had a cover on it, it was still beneath that cover, chained to the railings. And I still got the bike. It's broken down now, but I still got it. <laughs> What's the it chain? It was the cover use? that did the job. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a branded chain, just some big, heavy duty, I don't know, sort of thing a ship, a, a line, ocean line would have on the end of its anchor or something. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's funny because things like things like bolt cutters used to be harder to get before, but it seems like that they're you know they're available anywhere. You can get them cheap. At least at least yeah. I find this in North America now. They're becoming a lot more mainstream than what they were before. So I I think if you're going to use a chain, you'd probably be best to try and get some sort of hardened steel chain. Has to be hardened steel, or yeah. or a cable is actually better. It's harder to break if it's a hardened steel cable. But one of the secrets too is to keep the chain off the ground. If the chain can be brought down to the ground. Yep. Then you can put a bolt cutter up to it and put a lot more pressure on it than if you have to cut it in midair. Yeah, same as a log yeah, or, a, or a cable for that matter because the cable you just use yep, a cold chisel and a hammer and, and you're, you've cut it. Yeah, don't get it down on the ground, whatever you do. We used to have a, um, a kill switch on one of our bikes that when you stopped for the day, you'd flick that switch and you could do whatever you liked and the bike wouldn't start. And that's all well and good as long as you remember that it's um, that you've switched it on because the next morning when you go to start and you can't start it and, you know, people are coming over to give you mechanical advice and you realise, I'm sorry, I'm just an idiot, I haven't turned my switch There's um, a story behind on. that, I can tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sort of goes with the putting the piece of um, gaffer tape over the ignition so you can't ride off with the disc lock on the front wheel. Gaffer tape, for those who aren't in the movie industry, know that that's duct tape. Sorry, duct tape. That's not quite Sorry. duct tape. But it's high-quality duct tape. Right. Yeah. You know, we're talking about locking locking the bikes up, but it's also um, being aware of what you're going to leave on your bike and what you're going to take off each time, isn't it? And there are some places where I'm reasonably happy leaving my, my panniers locked on the bike, and um, there are other places where I'm going to take the panniers off and take them into my room, and I'll lock those with the chain or with a chain to the to the bed frame. Um, and they just act as my safe in the room. But a friend of mine recently, Mark Connell, um, he had left his panniers on the bike, um, and when he came back, half his belongings um, would, had disappeared. 
but he was very philosophical about it. I was so proud of the guy because, you know, he was, his attitude was, well, hey, look, you know, um, I made the decision to leave the stuff there. The stuff's gone missing. I'm not going to die from this. I'll just have to replace it. And the things that I replace it with will be souvenirs of where I'm at. And I just thought that was the perfect attitude. Yeah, you have to be philosophical about it. Yeah. Getting upset isn't going to do you any good at all. And when you have something stolen, it's just another story to tell when you get home. Uh, now, boys, I'm just going to have to love and leave you. Um, as you know, I broke a tooth yesterday, so I have a dentist appointment. But before I go, just a little plug. I've just finished touring Tasmania with um, three Texans and about 20 people from another state in um, New South Wales here. And um, Tasmania is just fantastic for our Australian rural view listeners. If you haven't been to Tassie for a while, do yourself a favour and get down there. And for international visitors, if ever you come to Australia and you miss riding Tasmania, you have missed such a wonderful experience. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and leave you in the capable hands of the pillion in a million. <laughs> Let me just say that you're the only person I, I've ever heard of that makes a dentist appointment on their birthday. <laughs> so so that's, a, that's a great birthday present to you. Happy birthday, and how old are you? Uh, I'm dyslexic, mate, 26. So work that out. <laughs> um, so you're going to get a, you're going to get a birthday present from the tooth fairy then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for that, mate. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, bye. Cheers. Happy yeah. birthday. Good luck. Yeah, boy. Well, I guess that takes us into our, our next question, which was from Alex. I hope I pronounced his last name right. Druyan. It's D-R-U-I-E-N. Druyan, I believe that is. Anyway, th this is probably a really big question. How do you get started in a quest around the world? I'm just going to leave it at that. For me, living in Essex. <laughs> Anywhere was better than living in Essex. Anywhere was better than that. <laughs> so, okay. So since this seems to be a tough one for everybody to grasp, uh, uh, don't you think that sort of if, if you're looking at that question, it's almost too big. You should be looking at something smaller. If you've never done regular rides or significant rides or out of your own country rides, yeah, you should start off small and build up your confidence, build up your experience, get your bike organized, get your gear organized. Um, figure out what you're doing and also decide whether you like it. Um, I know yeah. a guy who spent a lot of time getting himself organized for a round-the-world trip and had never been really very far. And he didn't get very far before he decided he hated it, and he went home. But he'd spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of emotional investment in planning on a round-the-world trip, but he just couldn't handle being on his own for a long period of time. Couldn't do it. Have I think you guys it's seen... something that drives itself, you know. If you do a journey, be it on your own or with friends, and you like it, and automatically when you stop and put your phones down, you will start talking about the next trip and wanting to go further, wanting to go longer. And sometimes the mates stick around and you do do it as a group. Sometimes your drive is the strongest and you end up doing it on your own. But like Grant says, I think it's a progressive thing. I think one of the key things is to work out why you want to do the trip. Um, is it something because you, 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 you want to do because you've seen posts on Facebook and forums and everything else and it sounds like a brilliant idea? It, is it because you want to find out about yourself or to learn about different countries or to challenge or, or whatever? But finding out why you as an individual want to go on a long trip, I think, is the most, most important thing. Um, has everybody here seen um, Daniel Rintz's um, movie Somewhere Else Tomorrow? 
Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely yeah. stunning movie. I love this thing. Yeah. Um, but he starts off with um, a friend, and these two are all fired up to go traveling together. But um, within the first month or so, um, Daniel's friend has decided that actually this overlanding lark just isn't for him. And uh, he turns around and heads home, and Daniel carries on. And yeah, that must have been a really, really difficult moment um, for the two of them, I suppose. Yeah, for both of them, especially the guy who's got to say, right, this isn't for me and I've got to go home. It's really easy to feel like a failure, but it's not a failure because in that it's what you want to do isn't this. And realizing that and hopefully realizing it early on is really important because maybe you can do something else that works better for you. Absolutely. One of the things that I learned very early on with traveling was, you know, you may have a destination in mind and you may not make it to that destination, but that doesn't mean your trip's a failure. Um, Your trip would be a failure if you actually didn't start your wheels rolling in the first place, because every day that you're out, out on the road and you're seeing and you're learning and you're discovering, that's a success. And routes change, plans change, dreams change, because you're growing and adapting to wherever you are. And, you know, for the people who do hit the road and then find that it's not for them, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, It's just the way it is for some people. Um, I admire them for actually getting their act together enough to be able to head out and explore. As long as they get out and do something that's, in my mind, it's always the do a little bit more than you've done before. Mm -hmm. That's an adventure. It doesn't have to be around the world. It just has to be more than you've done before. And for you... That is an adventure, and that's great. And yeah. if you enjoy it, and you're having fun, and it's that it feels like an adventure, that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be any grand, momentous thing. Just do a little more. That's all. If you look at it as being around the world to start with, you can really make it a very daunting thing. It's too Whereas, big. Yeah, you just you you feel like you're biting off more than you can chew. And I know the first time we were traveling, I I started to get overwhelmed by the thought that we had a year to ride to Australia. And Brian said, well, let's think about the next fortnight where we're going to spend exploring around southern France. And when you take it into little chunks, it uh, it's not quite so daunting. I think that happens once you've actually started, you're able to chunk it. I think in the yeah. preparation, it's very daunting because you can't help but think about all the destinations and all the possible things you might need for them. But yeah, once you hit the road, it's just a daily occurrence where you're going to have lunch, where you're going to get fuel, where you're going to sleep tonight. And it's it's far easier once those wheels do start rolling. It's very daunting before they do. You know, I may yeah, have put this true. to all of you guys before, but is it is there um is there like a time period there, you know, like when you go off to camp, if you did as a kid, I didn't, but if you did as a kid, where you'd have to be a week or two, you know, sort of that that getting comfortable time where you, you cross over that threshold or that hump of being away and sort of getting into the rhythm of things. Do you guys find that with, with travel, at least when you began? Oh, for me, Definitely. six weeks. It always seems to be six weeks. And then all of a sudden this weight comes off my shoulders and I've come down from the rush of Western life. You know, that, that sort of got to get it done on deadline, preferably a day in advance. And all of a sudden around that six week period, I'm noticing more, I'm traveling more gently, um, I'm stopping to, to, to look at views more, I'm stopping to talk to more people, um, I'm less, just less in a rush. And that, it's such a liberating feeling when that happens, but it always seems to be six weeks. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you're just going off for a week or two, you never really get into the groove. 
by the time you've been out there for four weeks, at least four weeks or six, you're starting to become, this is normal. This is, this is my life. This is what I do. I get up in the morning and I pack up the bike and I get on it and I ride and I meet people and I see things. And that's, that's the way life is as opposed to, oh, this is new and exciting and different. It's just, this is life. But it takes There's, time to get there. There is a definite transition stage, and it's very hard to explain that to someone who hasn't done it. But you and and I, I think we all have our different time frames. I mean, someone said to me it doesn't happen for him until after he's been on the road for three months. It's like, well, my trips are three months long. Are you saying I've never been in the zone? <laughs> so, but but it is it is something that occurs, and when it occurs, you will know it's occurred. But it definitely happens, and when it does nothing is quite as important or urgent as it was during those days of preparation it's almost as if you suddenly turn philosophical about life and i'm i'm just wondering is like when do you know that you've sort of passed that threshold because with it being different times for one the reason i say this is because you guys were saying that you know if it's not for you then you give up and you say not necessarily give up but you call it quits and you say okay that was fun and and it wasn't for me but how do you know if you've pushed it past that point of being that uncomfortable for a while and then all of a sudden getting into the rhythm what do you how do you know that what your limit is or how do you know when that threshold will come because you stop enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, you're not having fun. It's not good. You're not arguing with locals. You're pissed off at border officials. You don't like being made kept awake in hotels because of slamming doors. When your tolerance levels have dropped and everything is annoying, and you see this again with the backpacker fraternity who, who just don't uh, screaming at beggars and pissed off at long ticket lines or whatever. Go home. You've had enough. Go home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you when you get on your bike and you're not enjoying riding the bike, then it's definitely time to go home. Or, or stop, stop and take yes. a break. Or stop, stop and take a break. Yeah. I'm just having a look at Alex's question. How do you get started in a quest around the world? And I I thought about this quite a lot because it is important. Where's where's the kickoff point? How do you actually start the ball rolling? And I I sort of I thought well first of all you've got to decide where you want to go. Then you've got to find out about the visas. Um, then you've got to try and work out a little bit on um, budget, so hotel costs, fuel, visas, etc. Um, what maps and weather patterns and the things you want to see. And if you can get those things in place, then that's it's almost like um, laying the concrete foundations for you to build your travel house on. You said weather patterns? Yeah, patterns. Yeah, sorry, I just want to be clear because just with the accent, weather patterns. So in other words, making sure you're going to the right place at the right time. I'm terribly I'm sorry, old boy. I, I must I'm round my fun. words off a little bit. <laughs> sure. I wasn't. I just tried to clarify. That's it. Thank you. I obviously need to trim my moustache because I, my, my words are getting lost in it. <laughs> Paul Crowder writes, my question is what would be... What would be the best continent to tour in terms of ease versus experience for a traveler with time constraints? This has to ring home for a lot of people, I think, because not everybody wants to quit their job and sell everything. And so a lot of people have time constraints. So what do you guys think, in your opinions, what would be the best continent to tour in terms of ease versus experience for a, for a time constraint traveler? Where are you starting from? What's your home continent? That's the first question. I mean, I, I could tell, say uh, to a North American, go to Europe or go to New Zealand or go to Australia. New Zealand's definitely a, a really easy, cool place to go for a short trip. Um, 
But if you're a European, you might want to do Route 66. That's a very popular one. Uh, it depends a little bit on where you're coming from. And also, does budget enter into this, or just ease and uh, and? Uh, well, he didn't put budget in, but I mean, uh, of course, that's going to make a difference for everybody. I mean, I know we all know Europe's expensive, North America's expensive, but um, his his thing was uh, maybe it isn't, maybe it's not a a big deal for him. I I, I would also include in this Southern Africa. I mean, it's not Southern Africa; yeah. it's not the whole continent. But you know, you can you can head into into South Africa to begin with, and there are an awful lot of things that are familiar enough for you to feel um, not completely alien, but there's enough difference for you to think, wow, this, this, wow, this is Africa. Um, and Do I you need a carne for Southern Africa, Sam? Um, it's ideal, but if you're flying into South Africa and you're renting a bike from there, for example, or you're buying a bike there to go traveling for um, a little while, um, then no, you don't. Okay. Yeah, and once you're in South Africa, they've got a customs union with, um, I think it's Zimbabwe, Namibia, and Botswana. Have, so once you're in there, you're in to all of them without any Correct. further issues. If, if, you, if you're talking short trip in, let's say, three months, that's probably optimistic for some, but let's say three months, you could have an absolute ball in Southern Africa for three months. But yeah. what Grant said about New Zealand and Australia, also absolutely fabulous for the same reasons. Only the yeah. giraffes in Australia don't look quite the same. <laughs> and Australia yeah, we- is really big. I mean, people don't realise they think it's an island and um, they arrive and they want to see the Great Barrier Reef and uh, Ayers Rock and the Great Ocean Road and go to Darwin. And And do it in a month, right. Yeah, we can do it easy in a month, but on the road it just ain't possible. And also some of the more interesting parts of Australia are very, very hard going on a motorbike. Yeah, we've been, uh, spent the last three Novembers in South Africa going to our South Africa Travelers meeting, which unfortunately we're not going to be able to get to this year. But um, after the meeting, we've taken a week and toured South Africa with our host, Kobus Furi, who's an amazing host. And what we have seen has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I can't recommend South Africa highly enough. And I think going there is far easier than people think. I mean, South Africa always sounds, ooh, you know, ooh, South Africa, dangerous and all that. But the reality is, no, it's actually pretty good. And there's so much to see. And just going into the game parks is amazing. And then if you feel a little bit adventurous, it's easy to go someplace, maybe just a step harder. Go to Botswana, go to Namibia. It's just one notch up. And from there, okay, Zambia, Zaire. There's lots of places you can go to push your boundaries if you want to when you're ready. Of course, so you, you're really going to push your boundaries. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> right now you are, yes. Used to be it was okay once upon a time. Oh, well, things change. That's the thing we always have to remember with these places is today it's wonderful, tomorrow maybe not so much. Yep. So it changes. And also, again, depending on what continent he's on, but let's, let's say he's in the States and the U.S., despite common myth, Mexico is wonderful and from there you've got Guatemala and Belize is a holiday within a holiday because they all speak English. So a little circuit like that is also very, very cool, brilliant, fun, diverse scenery, coast, mountains, tropical. You've got it all. So if you're in if you're in the States and just dropping down to Mexico and the next neighboring countries is uh, is also very nice. Yeah, we love Mexico, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, that was really good. I mean, I mean, that was a that was a lot of input from our listeners, and I, I think that was a, a good direction for us to go in. So, we've got a question for you as a listener, and this is from Grant. He came up with this, and I think it's great. So, bring in your questions in general, but let's see if you can answer this question in particular, maybe in addition to another question. What keeps you from going? Uh, Grant, you want to elaborate? Yeah, this is actually from uh, Coach Coach Ramey Stroud, who's a good friend of ours and does some training for us. And he's always thinking, why don't people do more? And the whole point is, what stops you from going? Why don't you get out there and go? So there's lots of reasons people don't go. And we hear many, many, many reasons all the time. Um, Most of the time, people are looking for an excuse not to go because they're a little bit afraid. But I think regular listeners of Raw should have learned by now that there's no real reason to be afraid. So what's stopping you from going anyway? You have to make your own decision as to whether this is a good reason or it's an excuse. So what's, what's your reason? Why, why don't you go? And it's curiosity. So, I mean, if it's because you have a commitment or something like that, you can't get out of, we're curious. So, so send that in. Uh, again, you can go by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com and then go to the raw button, hover over that and you'll see a, a link to the question page. You can go on that or you can send it through social media or email. However you want to do it is fine to, uh, to get in touch with us. And that, along with any question you have for travel, any question you have for anyone on the panel here, just send it in. We'd love to talk about it because I think it makes really good conversation to do it that way. So um, I think from here, we're going to move into plugs. Does anyone have anything else to add? I still think it's funny I'm part of a panel. It makes me feel like a wall covering. <laughs> I don't actually like the word panel. I don't like the way it, the image that it conjures up, all, us all sitting around on a stage at a yeah, table. Yeah, we have little um, names out front of the desk with a little, you can press a button and it lights up and they say, yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. University channel. channel. Yeah. That's what yeah. brings in my mind. Phil, Bulgaria. <laughs> it should be really a campfire. We, we need a sound. Cue the sound of the campfire. We, we need the sound of the campfire here and it's really, it's a campfire talk. Yeah, the virtual fire, I think, is better than the panel. We'll burn the panel on the fire. Exactly. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) So on for plugs. Sam, you're up first. What do you have for us? Okay. Well, the first thing is I want to do a thank you. Um, And this thank you is to Mike and Sharon Maxwell, who live in North Carolina. Um, When they heard that I wasn't allowed to ride a motorcycle on this trip, they offered to lend me their car for two and a bit weeks of it. And I'm just blown away by them for for doing this. So Mike and Sharon, thank you very much indeed. Um, Yeah, you've made a a traveler very happy. Um, And uh, talking of traveling, um, my next presentation is going to be at Eurosport in Asheville. That's North Carolina, and that's on October the 17th. We've got a um, a 7 p.m. kickoff, so people need to be turning up around 6.30 latest. Um, I'm going to be talking about the magic of Africa, which is lovely, bearing in mind the the almost last conversation that we had. Africa just has drop-dead gorgeous scenery, but it's full of challenge, um, drama and humour. And I hope that my presentation is going to bring all of that into into living reality. And my presentation after that is going to be at Morton's BMW in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And that's on October the 26th. And we've got a a 6pm kickoff there, so 5.30ish applies. 
Um, this time, I'm going to be talking about um, traveling across Asia. And for me, this is the most colorful and culturally diverse part of the world that I've ever been to. You know, every border has its own customs, new foods, new smells, new clothes, new languages. And you're just constantly rolling through this ever-changing drama um, and challenge. And uh, I, yeah, I love it. So I hope that um, raw listeners will be able to catch up at uh, one or the other of those over the coming weeks. Shirley, what have you got? Well, the only thing that I could possibly plug is Horizons at the Snowy Mountains, which is next month. Gosh, it's just rushing up at us, isn't it? The year is nearly over. Yeah. Uh, November 16 to 19 at uh, at Genderbine in the Snowy Mountains. It's going to be it's going to be a fun gosh, 3 days. There's an extra day thrown in there. Um, we start on the Thursday and don't end until the Sunday. So anyone who's on the east coast of Australia or even on the west or in the middle, get on your bikes now and you'll get there in plenty of time. It's going to be great. And the venue is terrific. It's got good camping. And I have to say one thing that's always a priority for me is it's got extraordinarily good food. <laughs> And if we're past this date, by the time you're listening to this, there's all kinds of other events like that going on. Not not to take away from that one, go to horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events and find the event in your area. That's my ad. Yes. For those of you who aren't uh, lucky enough to be living in Australia. Uh, okay. So Brian, he's not here. So we're going to skip no, right over Brian. He's gone to the dentist. Brian's gone to the dentist. So Graham Field. Okay. I've got a lot of plugs here. Everybody go and put the kettle on. Um, right. Eureka is about to be reprinted because I've only got a few copies left. On the back pages, I have a few adverts for ethical companies who are motorcycle related. It is super cheap to have an advert in the back of my book. It's more about that you're an ethical company or product than uh, the, the money that you want to pay for an advert. So if anybody considers wanting their product permanently advertised in the back page, and again, there's only about four or five adverts, so you're not there with a plethora of adverts, and it's a full-page advert. Anybody's interested in that, get in touch quickly because the reprint is imminent. Talking of which, there are new Panya box sets being going to come out in time for Christmas. Um because of a minimum print run, I've now got to order a lot more of them than I would ideally. So I had to get some people to advertise on the box set. I'm full up now. I've got all the advertisers. But what that means is that now box sets are not exclusively available to people who buy three books. They're now going to be available to people who buy three products, which brings me on to the next thing. One of the new products is going to be an audio book. Thanks to Sam's encouragement and advice, I am doing an audio version of my first book, In Search of Greener Grass, Very which nice. I hope will also... Yeah, I know. Yeah, Man, cool. I've had to learn to read, and I'll tell you what, it's a lot slower than I've just been talking at the moment. It is so slow. And I've been listening to Sam's um, first audio book, Into Africa, to learn, to try and learn how to read a talking book. But what I keep doing is getting captivated by the story and forgetting to listen <laughs> to the way he's written. And it is so slow. And I went into the studio uh, a couple of weeks ago to do, I suppose you call it an audition, really. And um, and you are in the back of your head, in the back of my head, is studio time and how much it costs. And so <laughs> I'm sort of reading a little bit quicker than I should and I'm leaving pauses a little bit short. But it's, it's, it's like when you hear like these um, dramatic poets 
who blast through what they've got to say and you're trying to take it in, but you can't because they're on to the next line. And you have to read so slowly and leave long pauses. And it's so hard to do that. I think this is probably why thrash metal came to being because the bands couldn't afford the studio time and started playing faster. <laughs> or they're writing songs that were too long. They had to cram it into the three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, give us an yeah, example, Graham, you know, read us, a, read us a line here and let's hear how you sound. Well, I haven't got it in front of me. But, well, you um, must know it. Just, just give me an example. Give me, read a line like you would when you're recording for the audiobook. Okay. Well, the thing was, also, I went through Russian, so there was Russian names which were really hard to pronounce. So it doesn't matter if I pronounce it wrong, but I've got to be consistent in my mispronunciation. Oh, and that's so, the same and, thing with characters, isn't it? When you're when you're reading a book with characters, you've got to get that accent that you're faking right for each one of those characters as you go through. Yeah, I've got that to deal with as well because I was with Austrians and, and Swiss people and French. I haven't even practiced my accents yet. <laughs> I should have just written with Essex people. I would have had that down. I'd like to hear but, your Canadian accent, but first give, give us a line. Read it like you would if you're recording it for the audiobook. Okay, and like I said, I rehearse this so much. It's almost reciting rather than reading. But okay, here's a bit. And we we started in the middle of the book. We didn't uh, we didn't start at the beginning this because this was an audition basically. So this is how it goes. Let me see if I can do this. Day 26, Kislevoz, Russia, 286 miles. I wake with a star at midnight. Someone's shining a light in my tent. Oh, it's just the moon. I wish it wouldn't do that. The next light is the sun. That was an uncharacteristically good sleep. I get out of my tent, which is heavy with dew. The first thing I see is a man very nearby spraying trees. See, now we'd have to do a retake, spraying trees. I know he's noticed me. My blue tent in his green apple orchard is not easily missed. He comes over to me. He has a massive scythe. He's not happy, but thankfully he's not grim either. Camping okay? I ask, possibly 12 hours too late. He nods his acceptance, if not his approval. If that was a welcome, I don't have long before I'll be out staying it. I wrap up my dewy tent, have a yogurt, and decide it would just be bad etiquette to leave a steaming turd in his orchard. That's how it goes. That wasn't even a paragraph. How many times did I screw that up? I've got to do 153,000 words in a, in a studio That's in a six days. <laughs> And I was still reading that too quick. I should have left longer pauses. Um, yeah, that was the other problem. I'd read it so many times. I wasn't reading it. I was reciting it. And uh, But for, for you even put pauses where there aren't commas and full stops. So you, if anybody's ever listened to audio books, you, you don't read it at the speed of talking. You read it so slowly. So it's a bit of a learning curve. But anyway, the audio book will be done. And um, it's very expensive. It's not just the studio time, which is about a week, when you can imagine how much a week in a studio costs. It then takes another week to edit it. In my case, probably is going to take him two weeks to edit it. And then all you've got is an MP3 recording. Then it's got to be put onto discs. It's got to be packaged. And all of a sudden, that studio price doubles by the time you've got a product that is saleable. So what I'm going to do is do a crowdfunding thing for this. Uh, like I did when Different Natures came out. I'm not ready to do it yet, but hopefully when I do, there'll be a link on Raw, and uh, and it'll be great. And, and it's not money. I'm not asking you to donate. You are simply paying in advance for the audio book that you will receive. Oh, so it's not fundraising. It's pre-ordering. 
pre-ordering is what it is. Although yeah. with fundraising, that's not nearly a, that's not necessarily an option you can have on your heading. But so I'm right. not asking for donations or money for nothing. I'm simply saying. If you could pre-order, that's going to help me with the huge expenses involved in, in doing an audio book. So the three different options, oh, oh, and also it's going to be some new T-shirts. So the three different things that are available when you buy a box, you could have a reprint of Eureka. You could have the audio book. You could have a T-shirt to get a box set. And there's going to be so many box sets that if you've already got all three books, you can just buy a box on its own. I don't quite know how much that's going to cost you, but it's not going to be phenomenal. And because it can be flat packed, it's going to be quite cheap to post. So all these options are available combined with I'm going to be at Motorcycle Live this year in uh, in Birmingham at the NEC in the UK selling all this shit. So um, come and see me. Fantastic. What's the date on Motorcycle Live? I think it's like the 18th till the 24th, but it's probably more than that because it's a nine-day show. And I'm also going to be stall hopping as well. I'm going to be on different stands at different times, but that will all come clear closer to the time. Now, what month is Motorcycle Live? November. Okay. Yeah, November. This this is the the UK's largest um, motorcycle show, Um, and it's uh, in Birmingham. Or just outside Birmingham, right next door to Birmingham International Airport. So you get people flying in from Ireland, Scotland, um, from mainland Europe, all over the place. It's um, it's an absolute buzz. Um, the show is absolutely huge. And nine magic days of motorcycles. It's brilliant. Graham, I'm delighted you're going to be there. You guys have yeah. so many shows. It's incredible. But but Graham, back to what you're saying though. You said something about the three products. You said so if you buy three products, what? You'll get a box set automatically. Ah, okay. So, or any combination of like a couple of books, an audio CD or T-shirt, or three T-shirts or anything, you automatically get a box set with it. Again, it won't be available for about a month, uh, but there will be plenty of them this time. And uh, because it was just so popular. And we're going to put the link in uh, like on the page for Raw when you get it ready. So if you're, okay, if you're yeah. listening to this, just go to Raw. Um, that's that's um, adventureriderradio.com. Find the Raw button, go to the Raw page, and we'll put that link there. But the two big things to remember is Eureka Reprint, if you want to advertise your product on it, get in touch with me super quick and look out for a crowdfunding um, thing for the pre-order of the audiobook. Very good. Wow, lots of things happening for everyone. Yeah, well, I haven't been on for two months. Sorry about that. <laughs> ah, that's, that's good. Grant, what do you have? Well, surely stole my thunder with snowy mountains, but mm. that's okay. We've got uh, a couple of events coming up in the near future. Germany, the autumn meeting. Germany has two meetings a year. They're so buzzed on doing these things. Uh, October 28 to 31. It's always a good, hardcore Usually decent weather, but hopefully it's going to be really good. And uh, that's always a good event. And Western Australia is coming up also the same weekend, October 27 to 29 in near Perth. That's going to be a good event. That one is so full up, we had to turn off the uh, registration for presenters. They've got more presenters than they know what to do with. So there's lots of stuff going on there. Uh, So And, of course, South Africa coming up November 9 to 12. We're really bummed we're not going to be able to make that one this year, but can't do everything unfortunately and that's always an amazing event if you're anywhere near south africa you really want to get to this one it's the the host cobus has a game lodge and right across the street from the event so i shouldn't say across the street across the dirt road from where the event is held which is on the river is his private game reserve and you get to ride your bike in the game reserve 
How's that for cool? And the good part is there's no lions and leopards, so you're safe. But there's you get within 50 feet of the animals. It's it's amazing. It's a spectacular view. So that's a good one. And of course, as Shirley was saying, Australia Snowy Mountains, November 16 to 19. And that's the big events for this year. For those heading south to Ushuaia, you'll also take note that the uh, December 8 to 10 is the Argentina Travelers Meeting. I think they're up to about, this must be 13 years or 14 years for Argentina. It's been on for a long time. It's, it's a real tradition. If you're heading for this end of the continent uh, for in Ushuaia, you want to be there for uh, Christmas, well, this is the place to be. Uh, it's going to be a good event. It always has a good turnout. Check out that one. And the other one is a reminder that our videos are on Vimeo. Go to vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited, and you can see the Achievable Dream videos, all available for download, bits and pieces. You don't have to buy the whole thing. You can buy just parts of it and pick and choose what you want to see. Nice and easy, no download, no DVDs to order. So the Vimeo download is a good way to go if you want to just get it onto your laptop. Of course, none of our DVDs have ever been copy protected, so you can always just copy it from your DVD straight to your laptop. Read it as you go or watch as you go. But the, the price on the, uh, the Vimeo, I, I did that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten bucks. I mean, you, you yeah. can't go wrong. Uh, your tire changing video is the one I recently got. And I mean, for the information that's on there, it's a 10 bucks well spent. And that's 10 Canadian or actually it's under yeah. 10 Canadian. It's like 950 or something. Yeah, something like that. I can't even remember what it is. They're all different prices because of the different links and stuff. Yeah, it's a great platform. We've been, we were very pleased with it. And stuff is selling on a regular basis. People are buying them and reading and watching and we get comments every once in a while. Well, I'm, I'm going to just jump in and say that um, I'm also going to be at Motorcycle Life. I should have thought um, time-wise about adding that into to my list. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's my favorite show. It's always a buzz up there. Anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Great show. Oh, wait. After show party. Where? Where? Uh, I'm going to get hot tub for the sunrise. Sorry, you, <laughs> it's at your place, did you say? I think it's at Graham's. Yeah. <laughs> it's still sure. dark here. It hasn't even got light yet. So well, By the time gonna... we get there, it'll be light. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to get in the hot tub with another Bloody Mary and watch the sunrise. It's amazing this morning shift. Got the rest of the day free. <laughs> Well, that about wraps up ARR Raw for October 2017. And special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, as well as my co-host, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK. He's a world traveler, writer, and author of Overland Travel Books. Find out more about Sam at www.sam-manicom.com. Grant Johnson is a world traveler, lifelong motorcyclist. He's also one of the founders of Horizons Unlimited, literally the hub for motorcycle overlanders. You need to drop by and get connected at www.horizonsunlimited.com. Brian Ricks and Shirley Ricks are from Australia. They're world travelers, authors of great travel books as well. Find out more about them at www.aussiesoverland.com. Graham Field, another world traveler and author of great books about motorcycling. He's from the UK, but now he lives in Bulgaria. Find out more about Graham at www.gramfield.co.uk. Hey, if you like what you're hearing here and you want to help out, you can support the show by dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio, and click on the support button. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it as well spread the word let your friends know post it on facebook let other people know about the show my name is jim martin this is arr raw see you next month